0: Our scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, verse 4, uh, 4 2 to 9. Keep on praying and guard your prayers with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for me also. Pray that God would open a door for the word so we can preach the secret plan of Christ which is why I am in chains. Pray that I might be able to make it as clear as I ought to when I preach. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Your speech should always be gracious and sprinkled with insight, as that you may know how to respond to every person. Tychicus, our dearly beloved, our very dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow slave in the Lord, will inform you about everything that has happened to me. This is why I sent him to you so that you'll know all about us, and so he can encourage your hearts." I send him with Onesimus, our faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will let you know about everything here. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Does anyone remember that movie Stand By Me? Believe it or not, it's over 35 years old, which is a little frightening. But it was a wonderful story of four 12-year-old boys who go on an adventure together to find a dead body. Gordy, Chris, Vern, and Teddy. The power of the story is their friendship. The way they fight and make up, the way they look out for and understand each other, the way they embody love for each other, and how that just keeps showing up in their friendship. The narrator of the movie, which is kind of loosely based on Stephen King's life and was written by Stephen King, the original book. The adult voice of Gordy says this at the end I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Does anybody? Well, I recently had a visit from a friend who I met when I was 12. Our lives have wound around the world. She now lives in Hong Kong, and we're both on the other sides, opposite sides of the world. We've been on the opposite sides of the world raising kids and growing into our careers, and it was so great to see her now that um, we're both having empty nests and in this new season of life, and we had a great evening together, and I just remember that there is something that is very particularly intimate and powerful about the folks that we've known since we were young. There's just a certain feeling when you've seen somebody from home who knows you, Not everyone had great friends at 12 years old, but I think many of us have had periods in our lives that we would say are kind of the great eras of friendship in our lifespan, where we reflect on where our friendships were very present and sustaining. Like, I loved college, I had appointments with people from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, (laughs) and I would just go around having one-on-one conversations with my favorite people all day. It was a great time of my life. Friendships are also one of the most powerful and overlooked forces, I think, in our lives and in our world and even in the Bible. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Would you pray with me? Oh God, it is a privilege to come to you, a God who calls us a friend and invites us to be friends with each other. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is our final look at the book of Colossians this summer, and we're into the fourth and final chapter, Colossians 4. And it ends, as many of Paul's letters do, with final words and personal greetings. Here in Colossians, Paul is speaking to that church as friends. And he first speaks about prayer. And in addition to asking them to pray for themselves... And to pray in general, he asked them to pray for him him and his co-workers. That doors would open for their message and that he would have what is needed to live out his calling. And he then speaks to them about, um, as Carrie was talking about earlier, being outward facing. Because it's the tendency of any group of close friends to become insular and to close their circle And he encourages them to keep their eyes out for those who are on the outside and to speak to others graciously, with insight, carefully. It's a reminder to them that what the community and the transformation that they are experiencing, that is all not just for them, but is also for them to bless others with. And then I added a few extra verses and handed Lowell the tough task of reading that Tychicus name um, to just add a little bit of his personal greetings as well. Because during this time, the various churches were being visited by groups of traveling teachers and friends who facilitated communication between these early Christian communities And you can sense the trust that Paul has in these folks and hear the undercurrents of these connections and friendships that is pulling the early church along. Friendship is a powerful force in the stories and letters of Paul, but it's a force in the entire story of scripture. If we look at scripture and kind of the arc of it just through this lens it's kind of interesting you find that Adam and Eve were created to be partners from the beginning that Abraham and Sarah shared a friendship with God that sustained them through displacement and long years of travel and big moral failures and childlessness moses was feeling all alone and totally incapable of doing what god was calling him to do leading israel out of egypt and he finds companionship and help in his brother aaron and his sister miriam king david is called a friend of god and god loved him but also called him on the carpet when he was wrong and was very aware of david's limits And jumping ahead to Jesus, he didn't travel alone. He had a group of disciples, we think traditionally of 12, but the scripture tells us there were also many more women and men together who traveled together, stayed in each other's homes, watched out for each other. They knew each other well. They fought and they forgave and they experienced betrayal and they stood together through the death of their teacher And the birth of a movement that was beyond anything they could have imagined. And of course now today we come to what we see in this text here. The church in Colossians and Paul as part of a much larger network of friends who who also ate in each other's homes and traveled together and trusted each other to build a new understanding of how God works in the world in the path and the way of Jesus. So as you look at the arc of the Bible through friendship, you can see and begin to realize what a powerful theme and force it is, even in our scripture. This past Thursday, David Brooks' column in the New York Times was entitled, Why Your Social Life is Not What It Should Be. And he shared the research of Nicholas Epley at the University of Chicago, who has found that, quote, "...many of us wear ridiculously negative antisocial filters." (laughs) People significantly underestimate how much they will enjoy talking to strangers. And Epley began asking his subjects in a variety of studies to talk to strangers to compliment a family member or a friend, to just go up and give strangers a gift. And what they begin to find is that kindness actually has an enormous impact on its recipients. You may not think it's a big deal to hand someone a cup of water or a little gift or something you have, but actually people are very touched when you see them and you give them something. They found that I hate this one, but talking on the phone builds well-being and mutual understanding much more effectively than texting. So some of you who are older than me are like, we've been telling you that. <laughs> but I have also found that sometimes picking up the phone and having a conversation takes it a lot, things a lot further. They found that even introverts enjoy a train ride more if they speak with a stranger than if they're just on their own. And they found that people enjoyed longer, deeper conversations with strangers much more, wildly more, than they could have predicted. Brooks writes, We are an extremely social species, but many of us suffer from what Epley calls under-sociality. We see the world in anxiety-drenched ways that cause us to avoid social situations that would be fun, educational, and rewarding. The bottom line is that others are affected by our warmth and care, and that connecting with people in authentic ways fills our life with joy and meaning. And in a society that has been diagnosed with an epidemic of loneliness, This is very significant information for us. I know when I moved from California to Oregon, I kind of brought with me my my cool urban vibe, which means I don't talk to people very often. (laughs) You know, I don't talk to the person in the grocery store line. I just kind of am to myself. And living in Europe for a few years didn't hurt that because you're a little more closed off there and at least where I lived, and, um, but when I moved to Oregon, everyone talked to each other all the time. How's your day? How's it going? You know, do you like this brand of milk? Or you know, whatever it was, I was always, everyone was talking, you know, and all of a sudden, slowly, it began to break me down. And I came back to San Francisco for a uh, C family, and we went out to dinner, and I found myself talking to the waitress and helping her move tables around. And she just stopped. She said, thank you so much for being so nice. And I thought, okay, I've lost my urban cool. But you know what? I have been much happier and enjoyed life and being out in public since I learned to just start talking to people. So I think there's something about this. Work's conclusion is... My general view is that the fate of America will be importantly determined by how we treat each other in the smallest acts of daily life. That means being a genius at the close at hand, greeting a stranger, detecting the anxiety in somebody's voice and asking what's wrong, knowing how to talk across difference. More lives are diminished by the slow and frigid death of social closeness, closeness closedness than by the short and glowing risk of social openness. More lives are diminished by the slow and frigid death of social closedness than by the short and glowing risk of social openness. Friendship is the way forward into a better future. I really believe this is true, whether, I know when I take my next airplane trip, I'll still put my AirPods in probably, but, I think, in some ways, all of us can become more open to others. I find that this is true on many levels. The organization that I'm on the board of, African Road, we have an entire model of development in the developing world that is based on friendship. That is the starting place. Not, we know what you need. Not, here's a a handout but let's work together and see what's possible. In our church's response to the racial tensions in the world, while many of us read books and volunteered and are seeking to be advocates, what has become most exciting and powerful for us is to begin a friendship with St. Mark AME Zion Church in East Palo Alto. And I believe the future of who we are together as a faith community is really resting on our capacity for hospitality and generosity. Friendship is the way forward. And so we learned from Paul a few ways to be a friend that I want to share with you in closing. The first is to pray. Prayer is a habit of our hearts and minds. It's a way in which we relate to each other. We keep folks close at heart. We pray for them to to live into the fullness of who they are and what they're called to be, just as Paul was asking for prayer for himself. We ask others, How can I pray for you? Or what can I hold close for you if you don't feel comfortable saying prayer to somebody? And then check back to see how they are. How's it going? This life of prayer is just not throwing up words, but it really is holding folks close and and holding them before God and holding them in a prayer for their full wholeness. Secondly is vulnerability and honesty. I think one of the reasons it's so hard to have adult friendships is because over time we've developed a lot of shame and a sense of unworthiness since we were 12 years old, like the boys in Stand By Me. But when we begin to learn to speak openly with others, we discover that we're not alone. And in safe spaces, we begin to be loved just as we are. So taking little steps to practice vulnerability and deeper honesty with folks is the second step. The third one is draw horseshoes, not circles. Now I love the image of community as a circle, but I recently heard someone wonder that if the image for community could be a horseshoe and not a circle. I loved this idea that we leave an empty chair at the table. We leave a door open. We leave a path for folks to join our circle of friendship. This comes in so many different ways. I find often I'll be talking to some group of people and we're all kind of circling in and sometimes just turning and allowing the circle to be open. A lot of times it's just paying attention to who you don't know and inviting them to come deeper. in. Strong, confident friendship is not threatened by the stranger. It really opens its arms wider to take someone new in so friendship may we be led forward and met by God in this journey amen